All right, here we go. Yes. Oh, yeah, we're back. This is your jam. You've been looking forward to this all week. You were sitting at work on Monday and you were like, you know what? This is kind of boring. You know what? I remember last week when I had the John Dooley, when we had the Midwest Football Cavalcade podcast going on, and he was talking to me about football, and I was really enjoying it because he had really cool facts. He seems like a good guy. He seems like a good, he seems like a genuinely good human being. I want to listen to him again. Well, I got great news for you. I'm right here. It's the Midwest Football Cavalcade podcast with John Dooley. We are reviewing all of the excitement that happened at college football in week four, all the greatness to look forward to in week five, all of the pageantry that we can expect from these upcoming weeks. I mean, I had a really good time just sitting, chilling out and watching the games this weekend. Some interesting games, some turns. We're going to come up with a theme, though, for this week. I've got a theme for you, okay? So get out get out your, uh, your, your pens and pencils. Oh, before I even get to that, you can follow us on Twitter at Dooley Football. You need to do that now. You need to hit pause on your phone. You need to open up the Twitter app. You need to put, you need to go to Dooley Football. You need to follow me. You also need to go to Facebook. And you need to follow our group at the Midwest Football Cavalcade. You need to participate. You need to be a friend. You need to be a good person. I want to hear what you have to say. I'm sitting, I'm walking around my house by myself just talking to myself about college football. That's all I do. That's all I do. I mean, I got a job and I'm a dad and I got two kids and I, yeah, I do all that stuff. But when they're not around, I'm just talking football to myself. That's all I'm doing. So if you've got a moment, Follow me on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast. Tell your friends about it. Did you know that we have a listener in Japan? Now, chances are the listener in Japan, full disclosure, is my father-in-law. But let's pretend it's not. Let's just say that maybe my father-in-law met someone at the bar and said, hey, this guy talks college football. I see you enjoy United States football. Maybe you would like to take a perusal at this wonderful podcast. And then I got a new Japanese listener. For all I know, that's how it went down. And I've got two Japanese listeners. All I know is when I looked at the percentages, it was close to 5% of my audience is in Japan, which is pretty cool. I mean, I, I, I think the Japanese people would enjoy John Dooley. He's a good person. Anyway, let's get back to the, let's talk about what happened over the previous week and what we can look at at the upcoming week. I've also got some ugly stats. Oh, we wanted to talk about a theme. That's what we wanted to talk about. We wanted to talk about a theme. The theme this week is truth. The password is truth. The theme this week is truth. And I bring up truth because it's a, it's an uncomfortable word. It's a very uncomfortable, I hate the word. Whenever someone starts lecturing me about what's true or what's not, I, I kind of tune out and I walk away. I'm like, I don't need to hear this right now. Because I don't think there's that many true things in the world. However, when it comes to the game of football, every once in a while, there are teams that show up and they let you know who you are. And we have been presented in the Big Ten and in the Midwest with a team like that this year. They are the Ohio State Buckeyes. To me, they are, and I don't know how, I'm not breathing correctly or something. I said like bug eyes just there. I meant to say buck eyes. There we go. The Ohio State Buckeyes. They are the team for me that lets me know where your team is at. 
so that your team can have a moment where you all sit down as fans, no matter how much you love your team. And I know you guys love your teams. I got people that are listening to this in the Twin Cities who love the Gophers. I got people out east who love the Nittany Lions. I got people downstate who love the Illini. I know you love your teams. I know you care about your teams. But then you have to play Ohio State. And then you have to realize just really where your team's at. Because while you might be Penn State and you might have a team that has one of the best secondaries in the Big Ten, or you could be Michigan. And you could have this great offensive line with this really good running game that might be one of the top two in the Big Ten. Or you could be Iowa with this wonderful front seven and say, you know what, I think we've got one of the top two front seven in the Big Ten. The difference between your team and Ohio State is that they're the top two in every single category there is. You're in the top two in one area. You have one thing that your team can look at where you say, you know what, I think we're pretty dang good at this. Any given day against any team, we can play with the best at this particular facet of the game. Ohio State does it everywhere, and they're quick all over the ball. And I've got some really unfortunate stats that I think kind of showed the truth. That's that key word again. That's that recurring theme we're going to talk about this week. They were able to bring out a little bit of the truth in uh, Chris's. Uh, Wisconsin squad. So here comes some of that truth. And it's a code I'm going to get you. So I know some of you are listening to this right now with your significant other, or maybe you're doing some work at this time. I want you to take a moment, put down, put down the pen, stop looking at your screen. I'm going to read you these numbers, and then I'm going to give you a moment to say what these numbers represent. So here we go. I've got a set of numbers. There's nine numbers. Here they are. Five, three, three, ten, three. Four, 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 three. What do those numbers represent? I'll give you a moment. I'll give you a moment because I'm going to try to have a drink really quickly. I'll give you one more. What do those numbers mean? It's pretty simple. It's the amount of plays that Wisconsin had for their first nine drives of the game against Ohio State. They got more then five plays on a drive in their first nine drives once. They started the game giving up a touchdown, throwing a pick, giving up a touchdown, punting on a three and out, giving up a touchdown, punting after a three and out, and then giving up another touchdown. It was 28 to nothing before you could sneeze. Now, Ohio State's a great football team. But Wisconsin looked really overwhelmed. They looked really overwhelmed in this game. How about the fact that Ohio State ran 70 offensive plays and Wisconsin didn't tackle them for a loss one time? How about the fact that Jim Leonard, who's been the defensive coordinator with the Badgers now for six years, six years, the most points he ever, his defense ever gave up in a game was 41 points. And that was gone quicker than you could blink in that game. Just a really rough loss. And if you're a Wisconsin fan, it's kind of a depressing loss, right? You're thinking, oh, the Mac West is terrible. Even though we lost to Wazoo, like we should be able to rally, get back in conference play. Let's get going. Let's right this ship. Let's win this thing. And you're even thinking going into the game, probably not going to win. This is a really good Ohio State team. 
but I feel like we got a decent shot if we do X, Y, and Z, or at least to keep it close. And it was just over before you can even open your mouth. Just overall, I think um, a depressing game for Wisconsin. You lose your, you know, you have your left tackle who's was having some uh, injury issues. Logan Brown had to come in for him. Clay Cundiff's been out for, uh, uh, looks like he's going to be out for the year as well for Wisconsin. So not some good things. Not the best things, uh, we should say, in regards to Wisconsin. Now, we want to preview briefly, as we talked about that Wisconsin-Ohio State game, is the fact that they are going to host Illinois next week. And another thing about this Wisconsin team, and when you look at the schedule, is that there's not a lot of gimmies on there. You look at how this team's played, and you don't look at it and go, oh, yeah, we're going to win this, we're going to take this, we're going to take that, which is what you used to be able to do as a Wisconsin fan. And this year, now it feels like every game's got a question mark next to it. This is like this is actually a pretty good Illinois team. This is a decent Illini team. This is not their defense has played, I would say, over their heads, but they've played also within their system. They've played smartly. I might be one of maybe nine people who's watched every Illinois game because I don't know how many people were sitting down to watch them play Chattanooga and to watch them play Wyoming. But I watched for you guys. That's why you listen to the podcast. You're like, I don't have time to watch all this college football. John Dooley will just watch it for me, and then you'll tell me about what's going on on my way to work or while I'm in the car with my kids, and that's what I'm here for. But Illinois' defense has done a really good job playing within themselves, and as a team, obviously, with Chase Brown and the work that he's done over the previous year, it's not going to be a gimme game for Wisconsin like it normally would. Um, projections right now of the Illini going for six wins – they did some things against Chattanooga, and I mentioned this last week in the podcast, I said, because the, the reason why it was a hot topic, because if you remember, we were talking about Southern Illinois upsetting Northwestern in Evanston. How does an FCS team beat an FBS team? What has to take place? And Chattanooga going into the game is a top 10 FCS team. So what do the O-line I have to do? What do you do in a situation like that? You kind of do what Wisconsin was able to do to Illinois State earlier in the year, although Chattanooga is much better than Illinois State is. And Illinois went out there and they stepped on it. They won the game 31 to nothing. Uh, they outgained them 502 to 142. Chattanooga's got a pretty solid quarterback. He was shut down. He couldn't do anything. And what's more telling to me, this is the most telling thing to me. And everybody's going to say it's a Thursday night game against Chattanooga. Who cares, John? Like, just get to the Illinois Wisconsin preview. Two penalties and one turnover. That's it. Two penalties and one turnover. We cannot tell you how disorganized these Illini teams have been in the past. And for them to just show up and play a semi-clean game and dominate a team that they should be dominating. And for Tommy DeVito to show up and play the way that he did. So he quietly threw for 329 and three touchdowns. Now, I know a lot of the passing yardage came in yak from the receivers who broke off some big plays against that Chattanooga secondary. But still, this is what you need. He's kind of a Tommy DeVito, for those of you who are older Illini fans, so for those of you that are in your walking chairs and remember these days, there was a stretch of football where Illinois had really good quarterbacks. They had Tony Eason and, and, and Trudeau and a solid grouping of quarterbacks that they had at Illinois. And then it, there was a there was a drop-off in my generation, which was like Verdusco and Johnny Johnson and Scott Weaver and all these guys that were the quarterbacks afterwards who were like just good enough, like they really weren't that good, but they were like just good enough. 
And that's really, when you was watching DeVito, that's what I was thinking of. I'm like, I wonder if he could possibly be one of these guys. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. They look clean. And it was the number one thing I saw when Brett Bielema took the job, even when the Illini didn't have talent, is that when you watch them play, you went, wow, okay, so this is a college football team. This team looks like a college football team. They might not be the best team in the Big Ten. They might not even be in the top half of the Big Ten. But at least they look like they belong on a college football field. Because for Clown Shoes, who had the job the job before, the guy who was the Illini football coach before, that clown, I mean, that was just a bozo show, that whole thing. So Illinois looks better. They look cleaner. I think everybody on that team is still irked by that Indiana loss. I, they really did not get outplayed in that game, and they just... It just was a bad recipe for for what took place. And I just, I think they're going to look back at that game at the end of the year and they're going to be kicking themselves. That's really a game that they needed to have. Wisconsin's the better team on paper. Wisconsin's the better team on paper. Wisconsin's the team that should win the game. Um, No questions asked. Wisconsin should win this football game. But it's not going to be easy like it was in years past. Jack Nelson left the game on the offensive line for Wisconsin. Clay Cundiff's out for the Badgers. Um... The Illini, as I mentioned before, they have a sleepy good defense. They're not the most flashy, but uh, it should keep them in the game, and it's gonna—they're gonna force Mertz to win the game. Good news if you're a Badger fan, though, is Mertz has beaten the Illini before by himself. So I don't know if that's—I don't know if that's the type of game that the Illini want to do, but I think that's what's going to be presented of itself. I still think the Badgers are going to be able to run the ball. I think the Badgers will win the game. I think they'll actually cover on top of it. I don't think this is the game that's going to be the turnaround point for the Illini. I think Wisconsin's going to be really motivated after what happened last week. But I do think the injuries on the offensive line for Wisconsin are something that you need to watch going into that game. I, as of this recording, and I'm recording this on Monday night, I had not gotten more information uh, on that injury to their left tackle. So moving along to other games that we saw during during the week, Iowa was able to take care of Rutgers 27-10. to 10. We were excited because we were calling it Punt Fest 22 and two of the best punters in the Big Ten going head-to-head. Iowa has quietly done something this year. And everybody's, and this is myself included, I've been joking about their offense and how bad it is and Spencer Petras and they lost all their wide receivers and they can't seem to do anything. Well, they've only allowed 23 points this year. Total. They've only allowed 23 points total this year. That's the lowest four-game total that the Hawkeyes have had since 1956. So we can sit here and joke about X, Y, and Z with Iowa, but it's a true, really good defense. Their front seven uh, can line it up with any front seven in the Big Ten. And if you looked at the score, you probably glanced at it and thought, oh, Iowa won 27-10. to 10. They were finally able to get their offense back on track, but... Not really. They had a fumble recovery for a touchdown. They had an interception that was returned for a touchdown. The offense was one for nine on third down. It was still really disjointed. It was still kind of a lot of like what you saw with Iowa over the years. So they really haven't had that growth. And I will say this about Rutgers. At the end of the game, Greg Schiano and, and I'm, I'm just reading the quotes. I didn't get to see the actual interviews. But Schiano seemed really upset. Like, this isn't Rutgers football. We, we hold ourselves to a higher standard. Uh, someone's someone's got to sit down with Greg. Because remember, we're going to get back to what our theme was for this podcast, right? 
Truth, that was the word. It's like Pee Wee's Playhouse. Whenever I say truth, everything in your home or apartment is going to go off. Truth is the word we're talking about today. If you're Greg Schiano, who did a great job in his first time at, at Rutgers, and he's trying so hard to bring bring the joy back to the program, and he's really done a great job of getting the fans involved. I, I, I can't remember if it was the Wagner game or who the hell they were playing. They had 45,000 fans there. I mean, it's 45,000 people for Wagner. I just, I don't know. They, they're doing a really good job of getting people to go out to the ballgame. And they had a great atmosphere for Iowa on Saturday night. But you have to know what you have. You're starting your third-string quarterback in Evan Simon. And he did a fine job. He threw for 300 yards. Most of it was in garbage time. But, you know, for the most part, he did a pretty good job given the situation Rutgers has. Aaron Young's out for for God knows how long. He was going to be another portion of their running attack. So they don't have Aaron Young. Their, you know, their main playmaker is Crookshank, and they're depending on him to do a bunch of stuff on special teams and be the big play guy in the receiving core. They're asking a lot of dudes to do a lot. And you lost to a, a good football team. I know we joke about Iowa and how bad their, their offense is. That, that's a championship caliber level defense that Iowa has. It really is. It's a really, really solid defense. There's no shame in losing to the Iowa Hawkeyes. This is a good football team. Well, it's, I should say it's half of a good football team. It's half of a good football team. There's no shame in, uh, in losing to a team like that. You're still building. You're still young. You're still building the program. And I think he might be losing a little bit of patience. And I think it was the thought also that they got to play Ohio State next week. And the Bucks are favored by 40 in that game in Columbus. And he knows that he thought Noah Vidral was going to be back and ready to go. And he's not. And Wimsett gets hurt, who's the other quarterback. And he's like, oh, my God, we're going to go to Columbus and we're going to get embarrassed. Everybody's going to see us lose by 70 points. I thought in the back of my head, maybe we could keep this game close. And it didn't happen. And he just reacted out of frustration when he was talking about the game. But, you know, that's where Rutgers football is right now. And that's okay. They've made some pretty good strides as far as that is concerned. And let's briefly talk about that Rutgers and Ohio State game. They're going to be playing at 230 on uh, the Big Ten Network, the Bucks are favored by 40. What was so nice about the game for Ohio State is that they were able to get Jackson Smith and Jigba out of the game and say, oh, we're just going to rest them for a little bit, treating Wisconsin like it were New Mexico State or something. We'll take them out. We're good. We'll keep them out. We got to keep them healthy for next week. We got a big game against Rutgers. Uh, another thing to keep an eye on, uh, Teresia Mitchell who is not, I don't believe they have him listed as a starting linebacker. He's he's a guy they rotate in, He's a but he's a great playmaker on defense. He's hurt, so he's questionable going into next week. Uh, and we're still waiting for Vidral to come back for Rutgers. Uh, still word on Aaron Young and waiting for all that, but uh, it's probably not going to be good. And I hope it's a good game for, for Rutgers. And by good, I hope maybe within three touchdowns, but it should be a pretty easy win for Ohio State. So, Moving along, and we were going to talk about that Iowa-Michigan game because let's talk about Michigan and Maryland. So Michigan defeated Maryland 34-27. to And in this game, I think it's more to validate what Maryland is rather than what Michigan is not. I still think Michigan's probably, and I hate using the term overrated, but I do believe that they are overranked for where they're at. 
That being said, when you look at the top 25, by the way, for those of you who follow all of college football, there just isn't a lot of teams that just reach out to you, right? I mean, right now it's Georgia and Ohio State. We've only played four weeks. We've only played four weeks. Like that's kind of a problem, right? When there's only two teams that are reaching out to you that are saying, you know what? Hey, we think we're the best team in the country. Usually at this time, you got a group of teams that you want to bring together. Right now, I only see two. And then maybe the third one's Alabama. I don't think Michigan belongs in that group. If you're trying to make the argument that they are, I don't think that they are. And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. I hate how we bring that up today. If you don't finish in the top four, somehow you're some form of a of a failure. J.J. McCarthy's working through his first, you know, 10 to 20 games as a starter at Michigan for this year and for next year. He's going to grow as a quarterback. Blake Corum's a fantastic running back. He's got a really good offensive line. They've got a really good defense at Michigan. It's a good football team. I just don't know if J.J. has the weapons in his receiving core, and I don't know if he's there yet as a passer against elite defenses to be a top four team. Obviously, he's great with his feet. Obviously, he's a smart quarterback. I love him. I love watching him. We talk to people from from throughout the Chicagoland area, and this is more than just a couple friends of mine. I've heard this from different people now that I've gotten to talk to people that watch games throughout the Catholic League. They believe that McCarthy is the best quarterback that they saw in the Catholic League. Guys have been watching Catholic League football in Chicago for 40 years. And that's how much people believe and like this guy from Nazareth Academy and the work that he's done with Michigan. Um, I, I So it's, it's a good, there's no shame in being like the number, I don't know, seven or eight team. It's probably about where Michigan's at right now. I just think there needs to be a little bit more consistency from him. And I think with reps, you're going to see that. We are going to find, that's why I'm so excited about this game this weekend. We are going to find out so much more about J.J. McCarthy this weekend because he's going to face the best front seven that he's faced all year long. Now, how about Maryland as a whole? And I've been talking about Minnesota in the West and Maryland in the East from the start of the year. And I've been kind of tooting my horn because not a lot of people were talking about it, but I was kind of yelling it from the rooftops. And by the way, full disclosure, while I was talking about Maryland and Minnesota, I was also talking about Northwestern and Michigan State probably being a little bit better than people thought. And uh, I was not right on those. I was right about Nebraska, though, right? I told you, if you listen to the opening podcast, I told you guys don't buy on Nebraska. So hopefully you listened to what I had to say. But what bothered me about this Maryland-Michigan game, for if you're a, ter- a Terrapin fan, the turnover early on the kickoff, it was just an absolute killer. They turned the ball over. Michigan does what great teams do. They get an early turnover. They get with an early touchdown. They make it seven to nothing. And you're on the road and you're already thinking, up, oh, here we go again. Now, I know Maryland had that close match with Ohio State a couple years ago on the road. They played tough. You know, Maryland's had some games where they've been able to play fairly well. But overall, when you're looking at like the last 15 years of Maryland football, whenever these big games have come up, the the game's kind of gone away from them. And so following a lot of Terrapin Twitter, if you will, it was kind of split 50-50 by people that were upset over what took place because I think people as they watched the game were like, gosh, this was there. We should have won this game. This was really all turnovers and execution and 
just the wrong play at the wrong time. This game was there for us. And then there was the other half that were like, this is amazing. I can't believe we went to the big house and we competed for four quarters. This is great. But for me, um, I was validated. I was validated because I believed in Maryland from the start of the year. I know what this team can do. And across the board as well. That's another thing. There's not really a weak part of this Maryland squad. They're really good across the board. But when they were down 27 to 19. Also, let's talk about what happened first. After the kickoff, they fumbled the kickoff. They give up a touchdown. They could have just, I'm, I'm going to use a terrible pun. They could have crawled into their collective shells, right? But they didn't. They fought. They had the lead in the second half for a little bit. Michigan Kemp comes back. They take the lead. They get it at 27 to 19. They get the ball back. And Talia just throws a killer pick. It's just a bad play. And that was pretty much the game. The The score a little bit closer than really what it should have been. Maryland got a late touchdown when Edwards came in to make it 34 to 27. A couple short fields for Michigan that was really the killer in this one. And, and give Michigan credit. They bottled up Hemby. And Maryland has been able to run him pretty well th these first couple of games. So uh, being able for Michigan to stop the run and for Maryland's inability to stop Corm. If you guys, another thing for those of you who watched the game, Maryland had Michigan stopped. They had him stopped fourth and one from the 33 right before the half and Corum broke it and went for the touchdown. An absolute gutting killer touchdown for Maryland to get up at that point in time. And honestly winds up being the difference in the game. It winds up being the difference in the game and that's how much a game like this hurt. But hopefully it shows a lot of Terp fans that, Maybe you're a little bit closer than maybe what you originally thought. And I don't think Michigan fans should look at this and go, oh man, are we? if we're really that good, we should have beaten Maryland by three touchdowns. I don't think that's the case. You just played three cupcakes in a schedule and your team's getting used to the speed of Big Ten football. You played three of the biggest jokes in the entire football bowl subdivision. And I know it wasn't like Michigan went out and chose this. These schedules are chosen so far in advance. And Jim Harbaugh wasn't out there going, hmm, in, in 2019, he wasn't like, who are going to be the three worst teams in 2022? I know it's going to be Hawaii, Colorado State, and UConn. We know that that wasn't Harbaugh's pick or the AD looking at it. It just wound up to be like that for this particular year. So they needed this game to kind of get up to speed and see where they're at, which leads me to the game that we're going to see between Michigan and Iowa. 11 a.m. Uh, that's going to be on Fox Michigan, as of right now, as of this recording, is favored by 10 and a half. You've got that great Michigan offensive line against that tough Iowa front seven. Some big news for Michigan, though, by the way. Trevor Keegan hoping that he could be healthy for the game. Hill Green so that he could be healthy for the game as well. Donovan Edwards, I think, is the big one. They really need Donovan Edwards to be healthy. Blake Corum, he was fantastic. Nobody's going to disagree with that. He was fantastic on Saturday. He can't do that 10 more times. That's not a feasible thing. That's not something that Michigan can do for success. Uh, Donovan Edwards needs to be healthy. So hopefully, I know he was looked at being questionable going in the next week. So hopefully uh, he will be okay for next week. In Iowa, what was supposed to be kind of the weaker spot of their defense was going to be their young secondary and Kayvon Merriweather has really shown up big time. Iowa always seems to find these guys in their secondary, don't don't they? Is that just me? They just seem to find dudes 
who grow in that secondary. And Kayvon Merriweather is one of those guys. He's really stepped up. I believe he was the defensive player of the week in the Big Ten last week. Hopefully for them, they'll get Keegan Johnson back, their wide receiver. They they need as much receiver help as they can get. And, you know, force Petrus to make a play. If you're Michigan, that's what, that's what the focus has got to be on. Force their offense to have to make a play and hopefully force them into some mistakes uh, so you can play once again on a short field and get up early in this game and then be focused on trying to grind out clock. I got a feeling though Iowa's going to stretch this game out. I'm really not going to be surprised that this is like a 10-6 Michigan lead in the fourth quarter. Season's been uh, The series has been pretty even since 2002. I think it's something like 7-6 Iowa since 2002. So not a lot of tendencies one way or the other. I think we know we're going to get a grind out fest. It's going to be a beautiful autumn day. Can't you just feel it right now? The projections in Chicago for next weekend are supposed to be around 60 degrees and sunny. I know it's got to be the same around Iowa too. Little cool, crisp air. Might go out with your loved ones and look for some pumpkins in the morning. Make sure you get that housework done early. Maybe even go to the Home Depot on the Friday night and say, hey, you know, I got to finish some stuff around the house on Friday night. And then your significant other's like, oh, wow, look at that amazing work there. They've been working hard on Friday night. And said they worked so hard Friday night, Saturday morning. They deserve a rest. And you're like, damn right I do. And then you crack open a cold one and you watch some football for, I don't know, six, seven hours. Because you earned it. Because you earned it. When you're living, you know, you got the good life and you're taking care of yourself. And Michigan's playing Iowa at 11 a.m. on a Saturday and you got nothing going on. You take care of yourself. Right? Sit down and watch a game. And maybe the two of you are listening to this podcast together. Maybe you're sitting back, you're just chilling. And you're like, you know what? I've been kind of hard. I've been hard on the other person. I'm always complaining he's watching the game. Why don't you just let him let the person I'm saying him, it could be him, it could be her. I don't know. Let let the person watch the game. Something they're gonna enjoy out of. These weeks, there's too much stuff going on in the world. You guys watch the news? There's crap going on all the time. Somebody's bombing somebody else. You know, someone got shot. There's always some crap going on. And now we got political season. People got the signs out in their yard. Everybody's yelling at each other. And, you know, people want X, Y, and Z. And everybody's just angry. The commercials are angry on your TV. The last place we get to go to is football, right? We can just sit and watch the game and enjoy it with our friends and have a good time and talk about stuff. Work hard. Work as hard as you can. Get as much stuff done as you can. I know everybody's got projects going on. Maybe you're cleaning up stuff for the winter time. You know, getting stuff ready for those of us that are in the Midwest. That's what we got to do. If you're listening, if you're listening to that in Georgia, and you're like, "What are they doing?" That's what we do. We get ready for the. We have to get ready for the winter months. We got to make sure the uh, the house has got everything it needs for the winter time. You know, you're doing all those things during the fall. You're making sure that everything's ready to go, and you deserve a rest on a weekend. That's what it's there for. That's what, that's what these days are there for. They're for rest, not to work you another extra two days. You already worked hard enough over the previous five. Take a break, all right? Sorry, I just really jumped in this podcast for two months, two minutes yelling at you how you should live your life. You're probably like, I got enough of this at home. I don't need to listen to this stuff. Anyway, moving along. Indiana lost to Cincinnati 45-24. to This was an interesting game. So I this was a game I was watching from a distance and then went back and watched some late at night on Saturday. Oh, Connor Basilak. Um, and I think I mentioned this before. If you if you are going to throw the ball 66 times, if you're going to throw the ball 
66 times. You cannot throw for 280 yards. Now, I'm not wearing my, my, uh, my wizard's cap. I don't have my, my mathematician cap or whatever the heck. There's got to be a name for that. I forget what it's called. I'm not wearing that right now. But I do know, I do know that 66 into 280 is not much. That's not what we call a very high yards per attempt. Now, what was kind of a killer in this game, if you were watching this game, IU had this great drive, 16 plays, drive for a field goal, tie the game at three. You're a Hoosier fan. You're like, oh, hey, not bad. All right. They look like they kind of belong in this game. They look like they belong with this team. One play, 75 yards, touchdown, Bearcats, it's 10 to three. It was like you blink in an eye and you're reminded with the speed of the Bearcats, the coaching that team has. You're like, oh, we're in it today. Something's missing from Connor Baz. I keep saying this every single week. If you've been listening to this podcast, I'm not buying the Connor Basilek thing. I don't even know if I'm saying his name correctly. I believe it's Basilek. It might be Basilek. Well, if that's the case, he has to be better so I can pronounce his name the right way because I've been hearing it two different ways. You know, once you're really good, once you're really good, people make sure they say your name the right way. All right? Like like they were doing... I'm not going to get into it. But Indiana's got to be better. They played better than what the score was. They made a terrible mistake before the half. They were down 38-10. to They closed it to 38-24. They weren't able to get it closer. They had these drives where they went three and out. They had so many opportunities to do something in this game, and they just didn't do it. And it was some of those drives were eerily similar to what we saw last year. And I can, you're not around me right now, but if you're an IU Hoosiers football fan, I can I can feel you nodding through my microphone. I can I can actually feel you and see you nodding. You're saying, yep, felt just like last year. And it looked like that. So leaving points on the field, um, the feeling that you're playing better, but it's not reflected in the score. How about this? Bajalik leads the nation in pass attempts per game at 50 and a half. Uh, you know, I don't know if that's a recipe for winning. Just a hunch. I don't, I'm, not re- I'm not really sure that that's a recipe for winning for the Hoosiers, but we'll see what happens. Now they're at Nebraska next weekend. Let's get to Nebraska, huh? We're 34 minutes into this thing. Why don't, we, why don't we get to Nebraska? Because Nebraska was finally off last week. And I don't know if you guys know, but it's actually, Lincoln has been on fire. Um, Lincoln is actually on fire as we speak. There's fire departments, there's, there's hoses and water. I'm just kidding. There's not an actual fire in Lincoln, Nebraska right now. But we've got Casey Thompson against the IU defense at 630 on, on the Big Ten Network. The Huskers are actually favored by six and a half. But I was going through the list. I was going through the list of potential hires at Nebraska. And I think what we just talked about in the Indiana-Cincinnati games, your number one guy. And I know there might be a couple Bearcat fans that are listening to this podcast as well. You know, Luke Fickle's not a bad selection for them. I feel bad, you know, you lose Brian Kelly to Notre Dame. You're going to lose Fickle to, to Nebraska. But listen, he's built a program that's successful. He's a sharp guy. He'd be a perfect fit for them. I know people were trying to sell Mark Stoops, but... Mark Stoops gets SEC money <laughs> at a school where, where football's not the priority. He's got a little bit of protection there. Like if he goes, it's Kentucky's kind of like Northwestern in the way. If you go eight and four, like you're good. Like fans are totally fine with that. If you go eight and four at Kentucky, pff, golden. We'll sign you to a 10-year extension. You are good to go, my man. Bill O'Brien, I think, is the favorite. 
you know, right now he's, uh, he's at, at Bama and uh, he's obviously had experience in the Big Ten. I think he makes the most sense. Gary Patterson's a winner though, man. I really believe in Gary Patterson. I know he's getting up there. You know, he's not, he's not a young buck anymore, but he'd be a good hire. Stay away from Urban Meyer. I think he's bad news. Lance Leopold at Kansas is really interesting. I just think Lance wants to, I have this weird feeling Lance wants to stay and just see where this thing goes. I don't know. I I think I would, I say that, but I say that because I'm a fan. <laughs> when Nebraska goes up to Lance and says, we're going to pay you X and Trev Alberts gets him in that room and says, we're going to pay you this amount of money. I think it's going to change. I think that that's, uh, it doesn't, as much as you want, like, oh, I want to be the guy who leads Kansas to an 11 win season. You know, you get him in the room, you say, hey, we're going to pay you $500 million and we're going to name the basketball stadium after you. Yeah, that doesn't really matter after that point. So some interesting choices that are ahead for Nebraska. And as far as the team's concerned, I'm hoping for their sake that they're able to tread water for the rest of the year because they're in a weird situation right now. They have got to hit on whoever they're going to go after for their coaching spot. Because the longer this thing goes on, the closer it's going to become a Notre Dame-like situation. And what I mean by that is when Lou Holtz left Notre Dame and they handed that job over to Bob Davey, that job was never the same again. It was never the same. All the guys that they assumed would want to come back and coach at Notre Dame, well, of course Barry Alvarez is going to want to come back to Notre Dame. Why wouldn't he want to come back to Notre Dame? It's Notre Dame. And that's the feeling you get from these Nebraska people. It's like, well, of course, person X is going to want to coach in Nebraska. Folks, it's not like that anymore. They look at the pressure of the job. They look at how quickly they got to turn things around or else they're screwed. They know they got one year to make it work. The contract says five, but it really means you got to get it right in one. And they weigh all that stuff. Guys really successful at maybe a traditional school. I mean, let's use, let's, all right, let's go into another world and let's pretend Northwestern's having a good year this year. All right, let's pretend Northwestern's having a good year. They're 4-0. They've won two Western Division titles. Northwestern does not have, they are not in the same universe as Nebraska as far as, as, far as football tradition is concerned. And they could pay Pat Fitzgerald. I know this is a bad example because he went to Northwestern. He's an alum. He's not going to just walk but they could pay Pat Fitzgerald 10 times what he's making right now at Northwestern. Say, we're gonna give you the bag because we know that you've done this at Northwestern. We're gonna give you all of the resources in the world to be successful at Nebraska. And Pat Fitzgerald's weighing those things. The same way Bob Stoops weighing that at Kentucky. Is Nebraska a better job than Kentucky? Oh yeah, but he can go eight and four and be fine. Fitz can be... If it's is praying for eight and four right now, if he could get to eight and four or seven and five, oh my God, he's a savior. Ah, oh, another great year by Fitz. Our guy did the job again. We don't want to be too good at football at Northwestern. We want to be just good enough because that's our thing. So it's never as cut and dry as you think it is. I know this is someone who followed Notre Dame football for years and thinking like, oh, they should get this guy or they should get that guy. And they were never able to get this guy or able to get that guy. So... Something to watch as the year goes on that once we get closer to that offseason, really hoping Nebraska can land that hire right away. 
You want to be able to poach that thing quick. And the longer it goes and the longer it lurks, um, it could turn into a bad situation. All right, let's look at other games that took place during the week. How about Minnesota and Michigan State, the Gophers, who I've been talking about so highly for the last four weeks, going out there and proving me right and pounding Michigan State 34-7. to As I mentioned before, I thought Michigan State was going to be a little bit better this year as well. But Michigan State's serious problems right now, and it's on a couple different levels. So I'm not going to get on Mel Tucker too much right now, but turnovers, no run game. I think we all thought their defense would be one of the best in the Big Ten. But then I was guilty of this too, like I think a lot of people. They returned nine starters on defense. And they got guys like Javon Winman that are really special players. But when you looked at the numbers from last year, like they weren't world beaters in the points that they gave up. Like this wasn't like some amazing defense that was coming back. It was just the fact that they had nine athletic starters coming back and it looked like they were going to grow as a team and you felt a little bit more comfortable in Peyton Thorne and what he could do coming in for another year. Javon Winman had a quote that was really interesting. He said, we expected them to run the ball more. Like they went into the game with one game plan on defense. Like, oh, they're going to try to pound us. And then they didn't and they didn't know what to do. Um, That's kind of a tricky thing. And just some of the quotes... I don't know how many of you have, we probably don't have a lot of people on here that have a subscription to the Detroit Free Press, but some of these quotes that I was reading, Javon Javon Winman and some of these members of the Michigan State team, it didn't sound like they had a lot of respect for Tanner Morgan. We were surprised by his running ability. If you've watched Tanner Morgan play, you know he's not a runner, but he's, he's a slippery guy. He's always been kind of a slippery guy. He moves around pretty well in the pocket. This dude has gotten really, really comfortable in his offense. You guys have to listen to these stats here for Minnesota, by the way. I got this from Andy Greeter with the Pioneer Press in St. Paul. Over four games, Minnesota has allowed only three trips into the red zone. On third down, they have converted on 79% of their third downs on offense. And they have allowed only... 14% conversions on defense. Those three stats I gave you about the three trips into the red zone, um, 79% conversion on offense, 14% on defense, those are all number one in the nation in FBS for Minnesota. That's how good they are. Tanner Morgan, I believe there's 130 qualified quarterbacks for the QB rating nationally. He is now number five in the country out of 130 with an 88.7 QBR. He has an 85.6 completion percentage, seven touchdowns to one interception. That was the deal with him last year. Oh, he's not really a playmaker. He's not really a guy you can gamble on. They went out there. They outgained them 508 to 240, 32 to 14 on first downs. It was methodical too. For those of you who watched the game, they methodically beat Michigan State. And this was the way that Michigan State used to beat other teams. And I think that's what really got to the heart and where you get the feel for a lot of anger from Michigan State fans online. Because watching this game, they're like, oh, this is what we do. This is what we were supposed to do. And it just didn't happen. Getting out gained 240 to 38 on the ground, it's just not good enough. That just can't happen. So there was a lot of soul searching on Saturday. And even during 
some of the comments uh, today in the media for Michigan State. Now they have to go to Maryland. And we just talked about Maryland having this tough game against Michigan. We don't know about their safety, Xavier Henderson. Obviously, Darius Snow's out for the year at linebacker. Jacob Slade is injured at defensive tackle. Michigan State's defense is hurt. These are returning starters for Michigan State. They have lost so much on the defensive side of the ball, and now they got to go on the road, 2.30 on FS1. Terps are favored by 7. Big news right now as of this recording, I've got no news on Rakeem Jarrett, the great wide receiver for Maryland. Talia is still banged up. He's hopefully going to be ready to go. Uh, Famadu at running back, who's helped Hemby get a little bit of a spell and some rest as well. So Maryland's banged up a little bit too. Um, but it's going to need, Maryland's going to need to be able to run the ball in this game. They're going to need to be able to control the clock. And if they get them down early, you're going to get, Michigan State's going to get that feeling again of, oh my God, here we go again. What are we, what are we going to do? How are we going to respond to this? So an interesting game this week in College Park between Michigan State and Maryland. I'm really interested to see what happens with them. this one, how the Spartans are going to respond. These are big injuries, though, that have happened to this defense. And I just hope Michigan State fans understand this. I don't think this is a bad team. I think the biggest disappointment for Michigan State's been their running game. They got Jarek Broussard to come from Colorado. And they've got Berger on their on their uh, running back core as well. They have not delivered. They haven't delivered. Their offensive line has, hasn't delivered. It's overall been a pretty, pretty embarrassing time for them. Now, how about Purdue? Purdue had Adrian O'Connell unable to play. This was kind of lost in the wash of all the football news on Saturday. So Aiden O'Connell was unable to play on Saturday and his backup had to come in and defeat Florida Atlantic 28 to 26. So big news there for, for Purdue. Austin Burton came in, the kid came in and I thought did a fine job given the circumstances. They have some issues. Uh, Wide receiver Brock Thompson and offensive lineman Cam Craig are doubtful against Minnesota. Still playing it by ear for AOC as well. How about this for a stat? Because this is what's been getting Purdue into so much trouble. They haven't had a 100-yard rusher since Xander Horfath against Rutgers two years ago. They haven't been able to run the ball. It doesn't feel like it is a priority by Brom and the game planning for Purdue. And it, it, it seems to bite them. And you get the feeling you're not going to win regularly in the Big Ten with that type of with that type of game planning. You've got a special quarterback with you. You got to set him up by being able to run the by being able to run the ball. They are going to need AOC to play when they go to Minnesota. They they have no chance of winning the game if he's not going to play. They'll be at Minnesota at 11 a.m. on ESPN two. The Gophers are favored by 12. Uh, as we mentioned before, AOC is day to day. Questions on Brock Thompson and Elijah Canyon, who also helps with their receiver depth as well. Purdue's looking to have both those guys. The Purdue defense has to be better. And Minnesota doesn't have to be a world-beating defensive line in order to win this game. Uh, Purdue has to figure out their running game in order to be competitive in this match. So we saw what we did out of Minnesota. We we saw all the work they've done over the previous week and, and all of the Credit that's been given to them now from the national media. It's kind of taken a while, but it's nice that they've finally gotten it. Other games that happened last week that we should talk about. Penn State took care of the chips of Central Michigan, 33-14. to 14. Did you know Penn State, and this is from Audrey Snyder on Twitter, 41 pass breakups through four games. 
They had 48 through all of last year, much better in the red zone, just the overall execution of Penn State and how they're playing. 82% in the red zone, which right now is 19th in the country, compared to where they finished last year, which was 47% conversion rate in the red zone, which was 121st. So it felt like a pedestrian win over the chips. Uh, but Katron Allen, he is fast. They've got a really good running back tandem with this game, with this team. And Sean Clifford looks so much more comfortable with this offense. They just got a really nice blend. And as we've mentioned before, they've just got a really, really quick and active defensive backfield. Uh, Danny Dennis Sutton had two sacks for the Nittany Lions as well. And so they're going to be hosting Northwestern at 230 on ESPN. They're favored by 25 and a half. Northwestern is a mess. The Wildcats lost to Miami of Ohio 17 to 14 on a field goal with 21 seconds left. I think what got them the most and a lot of people, and I was listening to this game, I wasn't able to watch it. They were up 14 to seven in the fourth quarter and they just let Miami of Ohio go 85 yards to tie the game. And I think that's what's devastating about this team is whenever they get to a point where it looks like they're able to break away, they're unable to close the deal. Giving up 216 yards on the ground to a MAC team. Honestly, this felt more embarrassing than the SIU game. Because the SIU game was really turnovers. They turned the ball over, bad turnovers. And yeah, they had them in this game. This game, they couldn't put them away. It was like they weren't as good as Miami of Ohio. This is a team that was predicted to win the MAC East, by the way, but their starting quarterback isn't playing. So Miami of Ohio couldn't throw the ball all game. They had no passing game at all. And Northwestern still couldn't beat them. It is looking bleak in Evanston, folks. So uh, Coco Azuma, their starting safety, is out. He's hurt. That is a problem. Penn State's hoping Kevion Lee is going to be able to play. But when you've got Ryan Holinsky and a guy who telegraphs his passes the way that he does, and you're going up against that Penn State defensive backfield, that is a problem. That is a problem. So we've talked about Michigan and Iowa, Purdue and Minnesota, Illinois and Wisconsin. We talked about Rutgers and Ohio State, Northwestern and Penn State. I did not laugh at that Rutgers-Ohio State game, okay? Don't tell people I did. We talked about Michigan and Maryland. Let's go on to some other items that are taking place in college football. And because this is the Midwest football cavalcade, we will talk about Notre Dame. They were able to defeat the North Carolina Tar Heels in a fairly impressive 45-32 to victory. There was a bunch of articles. I really can't handle Notre Dame fighting Irish local media. And uh, I'm trying to be so positive with how I am as a sports fan. But my God, it is just so over the top. Have the Irish finally found their offense? Guys, they were playing the worst defense in all of FBS. The Tar Heels defense is hot garbage. They're terrible. What I'm glad about as someone who follows Notre Dame is that Drew Pine didn't look like a deer in headlights. He was able to make plays. He was able to finally kind of get into a little bit of a rhythm. And they were able to use Tyree. And they were able to use Estime. And that Notre Dame offensive line was able to just get down, show the whites of their knuckles, get down and burrow through a team that they should be beating down. If we've been reading about how good this Notre Dame offensive line is, then they should be going out there and beating teams like North Carolina the way that they did on Saturday. 
And they're going to get a physical match when they play BYU in a couple weeks. So Notre Dame's off this week, but they're going to play in two weeks. They better be ready. And you want to know what? They better be ready for UNLV too. That's not a gimme game. That is not, I'm going to put that out there right now. That if they think for one second they're going to show up against UNLV and just walk up and win that game, they have another another thing coming. There are no gimmies the rest of this schedule for Notre Dame. So for a lot of Irish fans, they want to take the moment and be like, yay, look at us, pat ourselves on the back. You're two and two. You're two and two. And and I'm not sure. I mentioned last week, <laughs> I was a little overdramatic. I said I wasn't sure if I could find six wins on the schedule. I think we could, we might find six wins on the schedule, especially now that Syracuse looked as bad as they did last week. That should be a game that you can win, but God knows what will happen. But it's going to, it feels like it's going to take some time. And it feels like they need to win all of these games. They need to win all of them to put themselves in a position because I don't feel good about them playing USC or Clemson. They've got USC and Clemson on the schedule. Everything else is up for grabs. It feels like it's a coin flip right now. I haven't seen enough. Maybe you felt like you saw enough when Drew Pine was able to light up one of the worst defenses in college football. I don't see that right now. I am glad Notre Dame was able to play bully ball for a little bit. So that's a positive. I think that's a good thing for everybody. But um, I don't know. Oh, I don't know if I gave the stat. Iowa is 5-1 and one in their last six home games against top five AP teams. 5-1 and one in their last six games against AP top five teams. That's pretty crazy. I just saw that hanging over on a page right here. Oh, and I hopefully I mentioned that Michigan needs Eric all back next week against Iowa, right? Did we talk about that? Did I talk enough about this Michigan-Iowa game? I wanted to. Anyway, uh, as we're closing up this pod- podcast, I did want to finally mention about the Mid-American Conference. Hey, how about Kent State? They played Georgia pretty tough, right? I thought the MAC overall, after I was talking them down for a couple weeks and saying, oh, they've really been slowly deteriorating for the last 20 years. It's not the conference that it used to be. They've done a pretty decent job. You know, you were able to see Bowling Green beat, beat Marshall last week. This week, you saw Miami of Ohio beat Northwestern. I know Northwestern's not the best team in the world, but for a MAC team, that's a good win for them to get. NIU hung tough with Kentucky. They played with them for most of that game. I think they're still frustrated over not being able to get a win in either that Tulsa or that Vanderbilt game. They were able to play in all these games, and they weren't able to... Um, to grab a win out of one of those three. Ohio had a crazy 59-52 win over Fordham as well. Uh, And for next week, some games to watch. Central Michigan and Toledo is going to be a really good game. That's my game of the week in the MAC. Central Michigan at Toledo. Toledo's favored to win the MAC West. Um, They'll be right there with Northern Illinois. So it'll be interesting to watch that game because I think the chips are going to be competitive as well. And then Northern Illinois is at Ball State. I think Ball State's a little bit better than what the projections have them to be. Northern should win this game. Unfortunately for them, this is now a must-win territory, so they've got to come through and get a win. And in the Missouri Valley Football Conference, for those of you who may have attended one of the schools in the Missouri Valley, Southern Illinois had a big win over North Dakota. They've pretty much got to win all of the games that they need to win for the rest of their schedule because they have two losses on there because they still have to play North Dakota State and Missouri State. Those are probably two losses. So you can still get to the playoffs with a record of seven and four. You're probably not going to get there with a record of six and five, even though SIU, the way it's looking, is going to wind up playing arguably the toughest schedule in all of FCS because they've scheduled two top 25 teams in Incarnate Word and Southeast Missouri, and they played Northwestern as an FCS school, but they don't take those things into consideration. So 
If you're an SIU fan, you're looking at this week in a very big game, and I think this is really going to give us a good indicator as to where Illinois State is at because the Redbirds have played fairly well. They had a really good game and were able to beat Eastern Illinois earlier in the year. So Southern Illinois and Illinois State play each other on Saturday night. That'll be a big game in the Valley. South Dakota State had a massive win against Missouri State. Those are two top three teams in the country that were playing head-to-head. So the Jackrabbits are trying to let everybody know that they should be able to challenge North Dakota State for the crown. And North Dakota State kind of struggled with South Dakota for a while. They pulled away in the second half and won 34-17. But you're getting the vibe maybe it's not the North Dakota State teams that we saw over the past couple of years. Northern Iowa easily lit into Western. I think it's going to be a rough year for the Leathernecks. Uh, Northern Northern Iowa trying to work their way back into the top half of the Valley. So some interesting stuff going around college football. Thank you so much once again for listening to the Midwest Football Cavalcade with John Dooley. Remember, we are on Facebook. If you join our group at Midwest Football Cavalcade, follow us on Twitter at Dooley Football. That's just at Dooley Football, D-O-O-L-E-Y Football. And make sure you subscribe to the podcast and tell your friends. It's an international podcast. I'm an international sensation. Tell your friends the fun that comes with following this podcast. So hopefully we'll get some good games next week. I'm really excited for this Michigan-Iowa game. I'm kind of excited for Illini-Wisconsin too. That's kind of the other game I'm, I'm sleepily want to take a look at. And um, and we'll check out the lo- we'll check out the other games and see how the Mac does as they also get started on their conference slate as well. So we'll be back next week, probably on either Tuesday or Wednesday. You should see us through the group posting on Facebook or on Twitter. So once again, I'm John Dooley for the Midwest Football Cavalcade. You guys have a great rest of the week and happy football. I'll talk to you guys later.